Good morning, Matthew. Uh, Stephen Roman here, uh, president of the Global Atomic uh, Corporation. Uh, we're a uranium company building a fabulous project in West Africa. And it's glad to be back here at Crux to uh, give everyone an update. I would also like to wish our, all of our American friends and supporters a happy Thanksgiving today and uh, enjoy your long weekend. And we, we look forward to uh, this chat today. Fantastic. Stephen, lovely to see you. Uh, I know it's only been a short time, but you've done so much in the last month already. Okay. I want to talk to you today, um, obviously about your feasibility study, the conversation around that, the press release, but specifically about the money you've just gone to raise. You've gone to raise 30 million bucks. Uh, nice price. Thank, thank you, Matt. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we worked on that. And of course, uh, most of the, uh, the issue was taken up by institutions that, uh, we had a, a, a mix of both uh, groups that had been in there previously uh, that are continuing to support the company, which is great to see. And then a number of new institutions. Uh, so about 90 to 95% of the whole issue was institutional. Um, and uh, we feel that a, a doubling of our last issue price uh, was a good deal for the company particularly with the uh, additional $6, million, or $6 warrant uh, which, if exercised, uh, would bring in about $20 million. Um, and, of course, the previous warrants uh, that are still out there that will be exercised next year, this, this could effectively give us uh, enough capital to move forward without uh, much of any further equity issue. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and we'll maybe talk about the contribution from Bethesda in a second um, to that and the kind of confluence of that capital. But um, just in terms of the deal structure here, you've done it as a bought deal. You didn't want to do a prospectus deal. Why was that? Well, the prospectus uh, institutions, typically they like doing prospectus deals. Uh, since this would be our first one, it would uh, come under a lot of scrutiny with the Ontario Securities Commission. That would delay things probably a month or two months, at least sometime into Q1 next year. So we felt uh, if we could convince everyone to do a private placement, it could be uh, done quickly, uh, take advantage of uh, a good year-end market. Um, that's one of the reasons why they like to have the half warrant attached because they do have four-month hold stock on this issue. And uh, we're expecting to close at or about December 7th. So uh, it's very quickly done from initial bought deal to close. So that's, that's good for the company and, of course, allows us to really keep the momentum up. We already have uh, earth-moving operations ongoing at site. Uh, we have bulldozers. We have buildings being erected. So this uh, momentum we'd like to keep going. And uh, of course, we announced that uh, we would be breaking ground January, but we've actually broken ground already uh, at the end of November. So uh, we, we just want to keep all this going. Okay, so um, again, something's come come on to in a second in terms of the, the, the breaking ground and, and prepping of the box cut. I, I, I suspect. So, um, just on just on the money side of things, because it's you, you've had a really good year of it. Okay, you even, like even since we last spoke, you were three twenty two up to three ninety five now, uh, four bucks plus a half warrant. I mean, CEOs feel different differently about warrants uh, at different stages of the company's development. Uh, how close were you to not doing a warrant or being persuaded that you needed to do a full warrant 
what were those discussions and negotiations like? Uh, no, full warrant was never, never the case. So it would have always been a half warrant. Uh, I pushed for no warrant, which I agree with you with a uh, 700 million market cap company. Uh, usually you get by the warrants. However, the fact that we did a private placement and not a prospectus issue, uh, there had to be some concession there. So the fact that the total deal is uh, is really minimal dilution in a, in a percentage basis and the warrant is a half warrant at a much, much higher price at $6, I think it was it was justified for the company to go ahead with that. Okay, good, 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 good kind of compromise. Um, and you're getting the money in now. Um, we we talked, we kind of made reference there to Befeza, and obviously at the point at which that could start feeding capital into um, the, the your bottom line. I mean, when you say we may not need to come back to the market again, it, do you think do you think that's realistic? Do you think do you think that you're going to be able to do that? Uh, well, I've, we've got a number of big drivers here that would support that idea. One is, of course, uh, 30 million of, of warrant exercise uh, capital available. And the other is two cash flowing businesses. So Bethesda joint venture obviously is one that'll be paid out this year. Uh, we expect that before the end of this year will be uh, Bethesda loan will be paid out. So then we will start generating dividends. We do expect potentially with the current zinc price that we may even get some during 2022, which would be a year ahead of schedule. Uh, the other is the advancement of our discussions with Arano as far as shipping, uh, direct shipping or during our development phase of the mine up to their Somer plant. So that potentially could start generating revenue uh, early 2023. And so then you'd have basically two cash flowing businesses uh, that would help support uh, financing of uh, your own plant. And uh, the banks of course uh, have indicated 65, 35, 70, 30 debt equity ratio, but with the money we've just raised and with the uh, warrant, uh, warrants outstanding that could be exercised, we could have that component completely taken care of. Just remind me the the the, the total capex number there. I've, I remember the number from the PEA. I mean, if you got an update it's, on it's that, a, it's almost the same. It's just over two hundred million yeah. in total. That that's with the contingency as well. Gotcha. Okay, and also with Bethesda, just in terms of the zinc prices is, is uh, quite healthy um, at the moment. And you, if you do pay that debt down. Uh, or your share of the debt down um, ne next year may get some financial contribution, but typically that's going to be paid out on an annualized basis, probably in the the, the, what, the February or the March of the following year. That's the way that that cash flows into you, is it? Or yeah. Right. And uh, you get management fees. Management fees and sales commissions every month, <clears throat> and then the uh, the big dividend once a year. So typically that's declared uh, in March at the AGM of the JV. And then paid out in April. Got it. And when will you be given guidance in terms of what you think those sorts of numbers could be in terms of contribution from Turkey? Well, uh, if we carry on, and our guidance this year has been that we would be running at about 70% capacity. We think it's going to improve a little bit next year. I mean, uh, if COVID backs off a little bit and we get more steel production, uh, we could move up to about 80%. Um, so... 
that could potentially, if zinc prices stay where they are, uh, donate uh, or generate about 10 to 15 million in profit to us uh, annually. Uh, if we run at full capacity, which is about 60 million pounds of annual production of zinc, uh, that would be much higher at current zinc prices. I think the zinc price this morning is over $1.50 a pound. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenally good price. Uh, so this uh, you know, would, would generate a lot of cash, but I would say downside would be in the 10 to 12 range and probably upside 15 to 18 depending on how the zinc price fluctuates. Right, okay. And with regards to the feasibility study, what, what, can you, uh, what can you tell us? Maybe some highlight numbers that we should be looking for. Well, the feasibility, of course, uh, we did a lot from the, receiving the draft in September to the final release uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, mainly with optimization. And the, the big uh, cost increase, of course, is uh, shipping rates, uh, ocean shipping has gone from uh, $2,500 per container to $12,500 per container for no apparent reason, except, um, you know, everybody likes to blame COVID. So it's gone up 500%. It seems that prices are coming down now. Uh, the other big input in the feasibility are the reagents being sulfur being the big one. That again, we use the highest number that's currently out there of over $200 a ton. Normally, sulfur's in the $80 to $100 a ton range. Um, so, of course, this feasibility we think is going to improve by the time we get into production and numbers should come down. Uh, the other thing we did is we, uh, because we had enough drill intensity in certain areas of the deposit uh, along strike, those smaller pods were pulled into the phase one feasibility which uh, added a lot of additional development cost, which you wouldn't normally spend. So we feel that uh, right now the numbers are very conservative as far as uh, OPEX and CAPEX. And uh, we think that we'll be able to improve, uh, improve definitely on the OPEX side by keeping the development of the mine mainly focused on the uh, zone one, zone two areas we're now drilling part of our 15,000 meter program on strike of zone two. So uh, initial drill indications are very positive there. We hope to be able to release some news on that in Q1, but that could then focus more of your near-term uh, mining in that area without doing a lot of underground development, which would be a, a huge reduction in, in cost. So uh, we, we think uh, there's a lot of benefits going on here with the drilling and with the further refinement of uh, the whole uh, mine design and, and mill process. So I'm, sorry, I'm really interested in the, in the kind of the, the margins that may be affected, your margins that may be affected by the Arano discussions. And, you know, are, are you broadly in agreement about what the range could be or do they can do they control that conversation? The same with the, the with the shipping and container costs. Obviously, we've seen that around the world, and some you know hilarious stories of um, where, where um, ports once they started implementing fines for you know long long st long stay uh, containers. Um, there's a sort of thirty three percent reduction in number of containers there because these were 
companies trying to blame the the shipping for delays in the supply chain and and therefore being able to increase their prices. So we've seen, we've seen some fun and games at the actual ports. But again, what are your conversations like in terms of negotiating the, those prices and you know making sure that they're not eating into your margin? Well, one of the big ones has been to source a lot of materials locally. So both in Niger and surrounding countries, we've managed to source both uh, equipment, uh, fabricators. For instance, if you were bringing in steel from, from China, for instance, and you had to ship it by container, well, that's a, a container full of steel. Whereas right now what we've done is we've sourced the steel in uh in nearby countries and we can ship overland without using ocean freight. And we've managed to really keep the, if people would notice uh, the cost overall, uh, including the contingencies is just about where our PEA number was. So uh, we had, I think 203 million in the PEA and 208 million in the feasibility study. So the more we can do locally and the more fabrication we can do locally, that means less ocean freight, less shipping, less hassles at the port, et cetera. So uh, this is all working to our advantage right now. Uh, we've got a couple of local contractors also that we've engaged, and we've also engaged a, uh, some experts in logistics uh, that have worked for big mining companies in the region uh, that are helping us now that know all the ins and outs and who to be using for various shipping. So we're getting those costs down. Okay, good. Okay. Um, I guess more, more as you, you kind of get there and actually sign, sign agreements. And so just on, just on the money front, you, you are obviously feasibility study, meaningfully advanced, quite close to production in the sense, sense that you're probably more advanced than um, most companies out there. You're going to need, you may not need to go into the market for financing based on what you just say. But if you do, have you been having conversations? Are you getting that lined up as a, as a backup? Because it doesn't sound like it's going to be a big amount, but you're still, you still may need something. Uh, well, until we get the final term sheets from the banks and we can show them our balance sheet and what's coming in on the cash flow side from the operations as well as uh, exercise of warrants. Uh, we won't be able to answer that question. So they might be totally satisfied with that. Uh, but, you know, if there is a requirement, uh, we'll have to deal with it at that time. But but is there a case of subject to, because, you know, from, from my, my my days back back in banking, you know, subject to companies achieving certain milestones or criteria, you, you could maybe get broad terms agreed. I know you've got a... Um, you know, I think you, I think you've talked about you know just over thirty bucks. I don't know where, where's the number today in terms of the your your break even number. Well, our our feasibility study we kept it consistent with our PEA at thirty five dollars a pound. Uh, uranium, I think yesterday was around forty seven dollars a pound. It's just getting there, so right? Clear, say again. It's it's getting to the point where you 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 think well maybe maybe we can go sooner rather than later or do you like the rest of the industry you know wait for this thing to take off in the new new year because I, I think most companies are looking for this 55 60 level. Well, the analysts here in Toronto are uh, writing up Q1 as $60 a pound in their forecasts. 
I think, uh, of course, the last high in uranium back in 2007 was $136 a pound. Uh, you know, clearly we're into a whole new era for uranium and nuclear power here with uh, all of these countries after COP26 signing on to nuclear power. I think they're now including it in the whole green economy in Europe. Um, so the, the demand for uranium is very strong. Uh, we feel the prices should move higher. Obviously, the key thing for us is to move the project into production so that January of 2025, that's what we're telling utilities, we will be able to start shipping at that time. Uh, the other thing I didn't mention is that the utilities that we're speaking with uh, have also discussed potential prepayments uh, because of shortage of supply. Uh, that would effectively uh, eliminate requirement for equity dollars uh, in that you would just uh, work and, and uh, supply uranium into those contracts that have, some of them have had uh, some prepayment. So these, these are all things we're working on right now, Matthew. So lo lo lots of options on, on the table there. Getting into production in 2025 sounds like it's funded or you've got a very good idea where, where the money's um, coming from. But you mentioned um, utilities. They don't seem to be doing too much in the market at the moment. You say you're talking to some. Um, is it, What about? Because no one's signing contracts, it seems, at the moment. What are they waiting for? That's a good question. What are they waiting for? I, I think uh, overall, um, the general thought was that maybe this was a short-term blip in the market uh, and that they would be able to, you know, get their supplies in the normal course, uh, that there's plenty of uranium out there. But uh, since uh, those thoughts sort of uh, came across the tape in the summer, the uranium markets changed significantly. So you have uh, Sprott, of course, entering the market in a big way. The Kazakhs have been doing it, Ye Yellow Cake PLC. Uh, there's a lot of uh, loose material that's been uh, cleaned out of the market. And of course, the prices have moved a little higher. The, the utilities uh, really haven't reacted that much yet. But I would expect as, as things continue to firm up, uh, they're going to start to come into the market, which will drive prices even higher. Yeah, I think interesting uh, first quarter lined up for sure. So I got to ask you then, you know, how are you positioning, positioning yourselves? How, what, how are people reacting to you in, 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 the, in the light of obviously Sput doing its thing? You know, I think they've just increased their, their ATM from 1.3 to 3.5 billion. Bucks, it looks interesting. ANU, as you say, the Kazakhs doing their thing and yellow cake. How, how do you fit into that narrative, given that you're probably one of the nearest term new production stories out there? Are people interested in that or are they going and hoping that, you know, Cameco and Kazatom from and one or two of the other sort of smaller producers will be able to solve their problems? I mean, what's that dynamic? We well, we, we haven't mentioned uh, the Chinese announcement that they're going to build 150 new reactors in the next 10 to 15 years. So <laughs> that's on top of the ones they're building now. Uh, China has a big presence in, in Africa, as you know, and uh, obviously uh, 
uranium from uh, Africa is uh, part of Chinese supply currently. Uh, they will need more supply. Arano, of course, is close by to us. Uh, there's others in country looking for projects like this. But uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, we'd like to use this asset as a company building asset. It's a tier one project. Um, I, I think people need to have a little bit of a longer term view in what kind of value we can create in a, in a strong uranium market with this asset. And I think that uh, people have spoken to us and asked about, uh, you know, when are we going to sell? Um, we're, that's, that's not part of our game. So uh, we, we want to be a, a producer. We think the mine can be a, a significant producer, a little bit of a, a, new, a new guy on the block uh, outside of the, the, the top three. And uh, I think that's going to generate a lot of interest for Global Atomic. You say you say you, you won't be interested, but if the if the price is right, you're always interested, right? And if well, everything's for sale, Matthew, <laughs> at the right price, always. But if you look at China and Africa, Africa has always been their shopping ground, right, for for, for the Chinese market. And uh, and you look at they've been quite active in buying some of the the battery metals, some of the base metals uh, out there. But they're 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 not offering huge premiums. Like if I look at lithium. It's, you know, we're talking 20, 30% premiums. Now, the difference between lithium and uranium is, I guess, scarcity. So if the Chinese value your project properly, you say there's, there's, there's always the right, there's always a right price. Is there? You're open. Well, you know what, Matthew? One good thing to look at, I would say, as a, as a, a sort of a comparison is what are the Canadian companies that are, not permitted trading for as far as pounds in the ground. And uh, they're in the eight to ten dollars a pound in the ground right now. We are, we're two. I mean, if we were ten dollars a pound in the ground right now, we'd be a two and a half billion market cap company. Uh, I think we're going to find more here at DASA. I think it's going to be something that's going to be supplying the market for the next 50 years. Um, so you have to look at that. You have to look where, where, where is the uranium price going? You, you do. There's a lot of variables there. Obviously, they're much, much higher grades over there. So it's going to be the, the, the cost of the cost of producing the pounds. It, you know, and you, you are a low cost producer, but you know, it's going to be tough to get anywhere near them. That said, the multiples they're seeing are significantly more. Than, than than you are on, on, on a cost per pound basis. So you, you've, you've definitely got some a ways to go. And it's a question of what you want to be able to do and you know, how far you want to you want to take this project or how you know wh where the where the ambition is on that front or where the ambition is in terms of realizing a really good price for this thing for what is a typical you know Chinese shopping environment, Africa. Uh, I guess time will tell and we'll see how far it gets, Matthew. But uh, with an asset like this and with cash flow from Turkey, we can be a solid dividend producing company and people can have this in their registered retirement savings plans generating cash flow for many years. Uh, if a fantastic price comes in the door and I'm talking billions, 
Um, I look at assets that have sold around the world that are nowhere near uh, this asset uh, that have sold for three, four billion dollars. Um, so I, I just don't see that this is not going to be a fire sale. That's for sure. Uh, we we have something that's a very unusual. It's the largest, highest grade uranium deposit in Africa. So I think people need to understand what we've got here. Yeah, we're not arguing or debating will this get into production. We're not debating can you make money. We're debating the type of type of return you could possibly get on the investment so far. So that's not a bad conversation to be having. Um, just on just on Niger, uh, the in terms of how the, has there been any sort of fallout with regards to you know companies uh, exiting the uranium space there. Um, have you been able to benefit from any of the, you know, it, it, over and above what we talked about last time in terms of uh, infrastructure, people, et cetera? As, how are things on the ground, I guess is what I'm asking. No, the, the things on the ground are great. Everybody's very excited. We've got uh, lots of interest from people wanting to join the company. We're doing interview processes now. Uh, of course, building up the team on site, uh, getting our camp ready for more people moving in there. Um, so it's it's been very positive environment. The government, of course, are, are pushing hard to get this up and running as soon as possible. Income taxes, employment, not too not too bad, right? Um, well, look, Stephen, look, I pre appreciate the update. I just wanted to kind of catch up with regards to the 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 money and how you went about putting um, that together, and obviously. Uh, sounds like you're quietly confident about your equity requirements for the next uh, couple of years and obviously feeding into whatever total capex uh, structure you put together. So I appreciate your time today, Stephen. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Matt. Always a pleasure. And uh, again, all the best. Have a good weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody in America.